Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders of Melisanda for the Accidental Aliens. And I'm Keith Foster, a managing partner at Invader Comics and the writer of both Kadoja and Three Protectors. Yeah, buddy. All right. The question that everyone is dying to ask. What are you drinking, my friend? So what I'm drinking is a good old Buena Vesa again. I'm, I'm just rocking my way through Buena Vesa. Ah. Here's why. Because we're recording this in the evening and I'm waking up at 4.30 tomorrow because I have an early golf tea time. Ooh. Okay. So, you know, I, I've, I'm so fucking lax at reserving tea times for myself. And the way that public golf works in California is that a lot of tea times open up exactly one week before. So if you miss that window by like five hours, then if you want to play on a Saturday or Sunday, you've just, you've totally screwed the pooch, you know? So I I decided late in the week that I wanted to play golf tomorrow, which is on a Saturday. Hey, we're recording this on a Friday, but which one? Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm like, yeah, let me just do this, right? So I, uh, I go through all these tea times and like I either basically had the option of 1030 in the morning, two in the afternoon or 552 in the morning. And my wife has a lot of stuff that she does in the morning. So I'm like, well, let's just try to link this up so that we can hang out more in the day. So that's why I went with 552. I mean, I don't I think I've mentioned this before, but if I haven't, I don't mind the early tea times. It reminds me of playing golf with my dad. We used to wake up real early, this kind of early every Sunday so that we could be the first people on the course before any tea times at the place we used to play golf way back in the day in Houston, Texas. So I don't mind. I don't mind anything that makes me think of golf with my dad because he's who got me into golf. So that's what I'll be doing tomorrow. But as a result, not not drinking anything heavy, not drinking anything hard. I don't need to be a complete idiot. I don't I don't need to wake up sluggish. I don't need to feel like shit on the course. I don't want any of that stuff going on. In fact, I drank an IPA last night, like a good solid eight, nine percent one. And then I hit golf balls in the morning today. And uh, I was sweating way more than normal. It was like a muggy morning, but I was like sweating and sluggish and my hands were a little shaky. I'm like, I wonder if this is because I drank that fucking beer, (laughs) you know? So anyway, none of that shit. We're going with something night, something nice and something light. How about you, brother? Well, and you're kind of used to getting up that early on a regular basis anyway. You're always up that early uh, editing, writing, reading comics. So 6 a.m. is my usual wake up time. Oh, okay. So having one on a Saturday, if I'm waking up at 4.30, I don't care, man. And and here's the thing. I could roll out of bed at 5 and just go straight to the golf course, swing a golf club a few times against air, and then be on the first tee. But like, I want to have a little bit of breakfast. I want to have a little bit of coffee tomorrow. So I am making the choice to wake up just a little bit earlier so that I can make the coffee, take the coffee with me, eat some oatmeal or something so that when I get out on the golf course, I'm raring to go. There you go. Cool, man. Yeah. Well, I am drinking. It is Neon Boodles. It is Tropical Raspberry Hazy IPA. It's a 6.8. And this is from Brewery Omagang. Oh, yeah. Omagang? Okay. Omagang or Omagang? Yeah. Uh, I, I can't remember, but yeah, sure. A collaboration with Thin Man Brewery. So, yeah. um, I enjoy it. I already took a sip before we got on the air here. It's delicious. I really enjoy this. It's a tall boy. It's a 16-ouncer. So, it'll be a nice yeah. time for me. Did you see the movie Psycho Gorman? I did. It's amazing. Yeah, okay. Bloodles are one of my favorite dumb throwaway things about the movie Psycho Gorman, that when there's that one opposition alien counts or whatever, there's there's one part where a character is eating blue noodles, mm-hmm. and the other character says, like, stop eating all the bloodles, I want some. So for me, like, <laughs> I, I, when it, I, the, my wife like went on a run where she wanted zoodles, the zucchini noodles, and I just, any anything that's not noodles, I just refer to as bloodles, because <laughs> they're the greatest, so. Yeah, yeah if you guys have not seen that movie, do yourself a favor, Go watch Psycho Gorman. It's great. Yeah, it's it's just it's just a yeah. It's ins- I think we did talk about it before because I'm such a huge fan of Gore. Yeah. It's like if Gore made a movie, you know, yeah, like that's basically what it was. Yeah, just completely insane. Uh, my buddy uh, Andy Bellinger, he actually is doing a Psycho Gorman or has already done a Psycho Gorman comic book. I backed the Kickstarter. Uh, oh, that I backed that Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looked awesome. His his work. Yeah. The way he draws them, it's it's amazing. So great stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah. All right, my friend. I am hosting, so that means you're going first. What's the first thing you got into this week? You are hosting, and I am mosting. So for me, uh, the less interesting thing to talk about, but the thing that took up... Well, actually, this took up less time, but I want to lead with this, because I like talking about the second one a little bit more, is that I am getting close to the vacation I'm going to take. And as a result, this has been a big week for just doing all of that catch-up work that you do ahead. Like, not catch-up work, but almost like the work-ahead stuff. And so, editing podcasts, finishing the work on the novel that I want to do so that I can go on this vacation and have it be a vacation and have it be whatever I want to think about. You know, like, look, if I go on vacation and I decide I want to think about my novel, that's on me. But I don't want to do it and have to do any of these things. I want to have a clean slate, and then if I choose to do them, I do them. So without getting into the bulk of like the kind of grunt work I've been doing, it's fun work, but it's just the kind of work you do. You know, you're working ahead. Again, I want to have that novel so that I can put it on a shelf for a week. I don't want to think about any of my comics. I don't want to think about the podcast. I just want to have it edited so that I don't have to scramble when I get back. And, and edit, you know, real close to like an air date or anything like that, right? So not fun to talk about, but a ton of work to do. And this is the way the modern world works when you're busy and you do things. You know what I mean? Like you sort of have to work ahead for your vacation. And then you'll probably have catch-up work waiting for you when you get back from that same vacation. There you go. Earn your lazy, my friend. You know? Yeah, there you go. Take that break. Get it all done beforehand and like... You know, Keith is a shining example of what you guys got to do on the indie comic scene. If you're out here making these comics and you got things that you have to do in your everyday life that requires the majority of your attention, you got to work ahead. You got to do all of these little things as fast as possible. Get things off of your plate. That's that's number one. You always have to get stuff off your plate. Always be turning something over, you know, because a new list is always going to going to come up. Um, you know, my my girlfriend took off. And um, she said, when I get back, are we going to spend some time together or do you have to work? And I said, babe, I have to work every night, but <laughs> I will I will spend some time with you. So there's always something, you know what I mean? It's just like there's never not a night where I have something to do. There's always something pending. So it doesn't matter how many things I get off my plate. There's always something else. And that's the beauty yeah. of comic books. <laughs> <laughs> when you finish beauty. one... <laughs> There's a brand new one that you have to start all over on. So uh, that's right. Yeah, that's how that's it goes. Right. Um, climbing that mountain. Yeah. Climbing that mountain. Yep. Yeah. One, one grip at a time. Okay. Yep. So my first thing was the making comics uh, tier, the interior page for Keith's Kadoja uh, Symphony, of, Symphony of Madness issue one. There was a making yeah. comics tier. And that included a cover by myself, which has been long since completed. But it also included interior page about a gag from this podcast. So that has been pending. It is done. I sent that to Keith a few days ago. And so he gave me the deadline of end of July. And we're recording this at the beginning of July. So I got that uh, taken care of. I just, again, yeah, I like things off the plate. So that was one thing that was pending. I don't want to be the reason why your Kickstarter takes longer to get out than it should I don't want mine to be the last thing that you're waiting on because you gave me this deadline as a favor. It's like, well, let me push it back because I know you got a lot of stuff going on. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. I'm going to knock this out. So, number one, it's not hanging over my head as a deadline yes. because I don't like that. I like I don't like people waiting for me. It was like uh, when I went golfing with my buddy and like it was my second time going out and we had people waiting. I was like, let's just let them go before us. Because I want to be able to take my time. I want to be able to get things done without the pressure of someone just staring at me, waiting for it to get done. So I was like, you know what? I don't want Keith staring at the back of my back of my neck while I'm taking this. Swing. Well, without without, yeah, I was you know look without without you asking for it. exactly. You have asked me before to just stare at the back of your neck. Yeah, it's something I'm into. You know what I mean? You know <laughs> what do you want from me? So anyway, um, the page is done, and uh, what do you think? How was it? I love it, man. It's great. It's it's fun, and I think people who back the tier are going to be in for a treat. Um, I'm gonna, I am going to print a few more for you know, Kadoja Symphony of Madness is going to be four issues, and uh, I don't mind having a few extra around for those next Kickstarters because this book is the Kickstarter exclusive, and what that means is you're not going to be able to buy it at a show, but 
if I get a few extra, then you'll be able to tack them on uh, in Kickstarters going forward. So, yeah, man, I, I think it's great. Um, we have had some conversations about possibly running it back for issue two of Symphony of Madness. So that means we got to think of some things to talk about that we can turn into gags. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> well, I already yeah, have, I love it. I already have the cover thought of in my head. So yes, so that yes. one, and you seem to approve of it. So oh, you told me that, and it made me very happy when you said. Yeah, that. so so I'm excited to draw that when the time comes. So you know, it will be some time, but uh, when I do do it, it'll be definitely a fun one. Yeah, man, great stuff, great stuff. Um, so that was your first thing. Right? It was. Yeah, it was a great thing. Again, I'm I'm happy the the book's coming together. I mean, I'm not gonna. My order of operations is that number one, I really need to get the volume one third printing of Kadoja to the printer within the next few days. I already talked to Lance about it and Lance is going to do some new logos and stuff because we're putting Invader logos on it, making some changes to the typeface. I mean, the typesetting on the title page because it's going to be third printing. So we want it to reflect that and a few other really subtle things that involve switching it from 215 Inc. to Invader. But uh, the issue there is that the printer lead time is pretty long and that, believe it or not, I really need to get this book to them within the next four or five days so that I can have it in time for Emerald City in Seattle, which is August 18th. So, yeah, man, you know, like I got to get on that. The Kadoja Symphony of Madness number one, that's not something that I plan on having for Emerald City. I have, an, I have three protectors as a brand new book for Emerald City, so no need to rush multiple things. But uh, I will be working on Symphony of Madness, you know, throughout the month of July. But I do appreciate you giving that to me. The book is essentially done. All I have to do is change a little bit of lettering that's bothering me, and then I've got the final version, and then the, print, the book's ready to go to printer. So excited. I, I mean, I love having this kind of stuff in hand. Uh, we love working ahead. You put this in my brain for variant covers for sure, because I already have a the variant for Symphony of Madness number two, which I believe I showed you, and uh, it's it's amazing. And uh, you taught me a lot some of this stuff of working ahead with covers, and it's great to work ahead with the product and just have it be ready so that once I get back from my trip, then I can start working on getting that issue out. Yeah, and that's something that I worked through. Uh, on this very pod, you know, it was like, I usually do have my alternate or variant covers done well ahead. So there is no lag time. I did have that Kickstarter. It was second shift 11, where the alternate cover took way longer than it was supposed to. And it pushed everything back. So um, it's a benefit for you to not only know in your mind that the package is ready to go, but it's beneficial for everyone that backs your Kickstarter and is waiting on the book. It's like, hey, we promised you this date and we're trying to get it to you this date, but it's not our fault. Well, it kind of is your fault. You should have got it done beforehand. And, you know, yeah, it just happens sometimes. It happens. Totally, totally. Did you, were, Are you a fan of R. Kelly's Trapped in the Closet, the Puppa Package? Shoot, do I know that one? What's the, How does that one go? You, you never, okay, you never saw R. Kelly's Trapped in the Closet. I've seen some R. Kelly stuff, like, uh, <laughs> there's one where he's just talking. Like Dave Chappelle's pee on you? <laughs> I've definitely seen that. And I, um, what's the one album where he's basically just talking to a girl and trying to, trying to convince her that he wasn't cheating on her, even though she caught him or something, or... I think that, I mean, you may be referring to, so Trapped in the Closet is is sort of garbage and sort of one of the masterworks of the 21st century. Um, it is basically a, I think it's 22 episodes. It is a 22 episode soap opera. Okay, that is the that one I was talking is, about. That is, that is treated like a, it's almost like a spoken R&B yes. song. Right, like the 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 beat is always the same, and then he'll talk, and he'll talk like this, and that'll be the story, and somebody's doing this. Yeah, nothing rhymes. He's just sing talking. No. Yeah, I'm proud to say I own that on DVD. Is uh, again, I happen to think it's one of the 21st century's finest masterworks. <laughs> I'm only sort of kidding. It's just, it's insane. It's a goofy, goofy soap opera, yeah. and, uh, and I love it. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, great times. Were there other guys there? I said, were there other guys there? <laughs> <laughs> he's going to the closet. He's turning the knob on the closet. He's walking up to the closet. It, and then, and like in the video too, there's a, a dwarf under the sink, oh God, right? Yes. Like he comes yes, in. Bridget. And, uh, Bridget. Bridget. Bridget was with a midget. Yes. 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 <laughs> that's, from, that's, from, or, uh, that's masterwork. So masterwork. Good. Anyway. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it ages so poorly because one, you know, a couple of the big twists in the book are basically the kind of stuff that we're supposed to be more open minded about. Yes, <laughs> you know. But uh, but anyway, so yeah, it doesn't age well. Uh, but if you put that behind you, it's, it's a lot of things that R. Kelly wild. does doesn't age well. <laughs> Well, the criminal offenses never aged well the moment they happened. Correct. <laughs> right. But, and the after but effects yes, even, of them happening do not age well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We we, we do not endorse uh, any of those actions. We're simply talking about this as an extant piece of work in the in the culture universe. Yes. Um, all right. Uh, so my second thing was uh, a lot of work, and I mean a lot, on animals. So I, I finally sat down to look at the issue one script. And I'm going to be quick about this, but I am not kidding when I say I took an average of two hours a day looking at this thing. And it, it's like I would. So I read through the whole thing, cleaned up spots and dialogue, just just did some some pretty heavy editing where I was like, I don't even need this part. It's just. You know, I was, I was sort of writing through it. It was very first drafty, and so this was very second drafty. I'm cleaning it up. I'm making it tighter. I'm keeping the information that you need to know on the page. And so part one, again, Animals is going to be a two-part comic, about 32-plus pages for each comic. It, it was intended to be in five chapters for part one and five more chapters for part two. Now I'm, I may divide it into chapters. It may not be five and five It'll be whatever it is, but it's going to be, you know, I know where the ending point is. So I'm going back and forth with Mike on it, and I'm doing all this work. And as I've mentioned before, the the highest octane art is really in the first four, four chapters. And then in chapter five, the art starts to get a little less octane. You know, it's still cool, but... You know, by the time I got to chapter six of the original thing, like none of that art is going to make its way into the final comic. You know, it's it's the first five chapters that are that are strong and that are the ones that are going to make up part one. So I'm going back and forth with Mike on it on. He's like, I, I, I'm I don't I didn't have a good place to end it. And I I'm texting Mike and I say, hey, what's your thing on cliffhangers? Like I have a cliffhanger. What do you think about this? And he just responds with, we need a strong cliffhanger. so so i'm like right right okay so that's not gonna work and but but this gets back into something that i think i talked about um oh it was also on animals where i had the stuff where the most interesting thing happening was not the thing that was the art and it's because i'm writing around art that will never change that i cannot add to because we're not working with the artist anymore so the constraints are super important here you know, so what I'm doing is I'm looking at the art I have and I'm trying to figure out, like, how the hell do I make a good cliffhanger out of this? Because there's not one here. And and as I'm bumping my head against a wall, when Mike said strong cliffhanger, I'm like, OK, what can I do? And what I decided was the answer was right there in front of me, which is the previous version had chapters one, two, and three that all had some nice punch to them. And then chapters four and five involved sort of a different part of the story where investigation happens and things like that. And what I realized is that if I simply take the existing chapter three and turn it into the chapter five thing that ends the first part, I've got my badass cliffhanger. I've even got a killer piece of art to end the issue on. So that requires a fair amount of rework because... All of a sudden, stuff that I reference in chapter, you know, in chapters four and five, when I reference chapter three, that is now gone because I can't reference that stuff anymore. So that involved a a good amount of rewriting. I'm not done yet, but I am happy that I have made that major structural change that makes the whole issue work. And by the time this issue comes out six, eight months from now, whenever it is, it's going to be invisible to everybody. I mean, people who listen to the podcast will have this cool inside baseball stuff about it and they'll know this, but the writing is going to change. The things I'm going to put in the comic are going to change and it's all going to work. And more importantly, I get my my nice wallop that ends part one of Animals. So really happy It's a great example of how sometimes as a writer, you just have to stare at a wall and bang your head into it. I've given that example before, I think. Like, you bang your head into the wall, and you bang your head into the wall, and it hurts. And it hurts day after day, and you give yourself minor concussions. 
But you know what? The goddamn wall gives way every time, as long as you keep banging on it. You know what I mean? Like, there's no other way to explain it. That's not real life. Real life, there are problems that you just can't get around. But in writing, there is merit to just banging your head against a wall. Because against all physics and logic, the goddamn wall gives eventually. That's the best part about it. That's awesome, man. Yeah, the um, the working and reworking of the script, you're saying you have stuff that's basically kind of like first draft stuff. I was kind of going through that with um, something I'm working on, a couple of different things. So I am working on the second shift volume two cover. So th- what I'm trying to convey in that, I was working on all day, basically. I was thinking of a layout. I have the the majority of the layout done, but there was one element to it that was bothering me and it wasn't working. So I was just reworking, reworking, banging my head against this wall, trying thing, trying to do this image in a different angle just to make it work along with the other characters and it just wasn't doing it. And finally, you know, in the 11th hour, it finally, the wall gave way and I was able to figure the layout out. And from there, I started penciling it and uh, or inking it, I should say, like the thumbnail section and like the reworking of the pages is my penciling stage. This is all digital. And uh, when I start inking, it's essentially thin pencil lines. So I do, I try to control my line weight. I'll do a very skinny line weight initially to lay everything out, get the skeleton of each figure out out there, just the, the outline essentially of all the characters, not a silhouette. But like all the basic line work, it's all done with a very thin, thin pen. And uh, so that as soon as I figured the layout out, everything was moving very quickly, which is great. You know, it's like doing doing all that beginning work. That's the stuff that's the more difficult stuff, like laying panels out, laying pages out, laying images out, um, finding the composition. That's all the very difficult stuff. And then so once you get that, it's like the floodgates are down. It's just flowing. And um, so I started laying the pencil work or the pen work down for that cover. And so far, so good. It's coming out really well. I'm going to be doing a small run of the second volume of Second Shift because I don't have time to do a Kickstarter because San Diego Comic Comic Con is around the corner. Emerald City is around the corner. I don't have time to run it um, Mm -hmm. to the satisfaction of myself. Like what I want to put into the second volume I want to make sure I have all of my T's and I's crossed and dotted. I want to make sure everything is what it needs to be. There was something in the Wanderers Kickstarter that I felt like was missing. And I want to make sure nothing is missing from this. So, but what I have to do, since I do, going to Emerald City is going to be quite an expense. So I need to make all the money that I can. So having these second volumes is very important. Um, so I am going to do a small print run in order to, to have product for those shows. Um, and then after the fact, that's when I'll run the Kickstarter. So first things first, I pop a freak, all the honeys. I have to do this bunnies. cover. Yeah. Playboy's exactly. bunnies. Those who want any money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 And guess who wants the money? This playboy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. That's awesome. That, no, that's, I mean, that's fair. I'm actually... I'm surprised that in the last week or two, you didn't devote more podcast time to the fact that you're probably in this mad scramble for San Diego Comic-Con and, and for Emerald City. Because again, from a, from a comic creator point of view, if two conventions are a month apart, then from your perspective, they might as well be one day after the other. Yes, there are some things that you could get made. Like you and I both know that there are a couple vendors out there where we can turn stuff around really quick. But in general, that's not a position you want to put yourself in. No. What you want to do is plan for those shows being back to back and just stocking up or doing whatever ordering you need to do before the first one and then going to the second one. You know, I have a similar situation in that I'm doing Emerald City in mid to late August and then I have amazing Las Vegas in mid to late September. 
And again, they're, they're like a month apart, but that doesn't matter. You got to be ready for both when you're ready for the first one. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, um, honestly, it's uh, getting through all the Wanderer stuff has been my main focus. But the reason why I was pushing so hard and and if you did back the Kickstarter, you'll know that you've already got the survey like a few days after the Kickstarter was over. Oh, yeah. So it, so fucking fast. Yeah, it's yeah. just like, no, no, give me give me your names. Give me your addresses because I need these books back to me. I need to get this PDF to the yeah. printer as fast as possible because San Diego yeah. Comic-Con is around the corner. Um, I don't know how busy my printer is. He just got back from vacation, so I don't know how backed up he's going to be. Um, when I talked to him at Phoenix Fan Fusion, he, he seemed to be good with it. He was like, no, I'll get that back to you within two weeks. So what that means is I have to give him this book within the first week. So... I need to get that, you know, I need to get everything rolling. So that's why, you know, the Kickstarter survey went out as fast as it did. It's just like, I need every single name for the back of the book. I need every single address. So that way, when I'm selling this at the convention, I don't feel bad because mm -hmm. those people that back the Kickstarter have gotten their books already. You know, it's just like, totally. that's the point of the Kickstarter. You guys get it before everyone else does. I don't want to start selling it around town when you backed yeah. and supported the project and haven't gotten the book yet. So that's definitely a concern for me. So as soon as those books do come in, um, it's just like going in Gemini mailers and it's going out to you guys as fast as possible because I do, yeah. I do need them for these shows. You know, these are the biggest shows of the year for me. These are two of the biggest shows for, of the year for me. So definitely yeah. want to have product, brand new product for those shows. Two, two quick notes. One, you said Gemini mailers. I finally just decided to get Gemini mailers because they're roughly the same price as all these other non-Gemini mailers and Gemini mailers are the best. The best. They are, they, they are, they are, they are the same price as any other mailer out there pretty much, or they're a touch more, but God damn it, are they so worth it, man. Yep. They're so easy to assemble. They're so perfect. And they're the industry top mailer. So when your book shows up in a Gemini mailer, it's impressive. You know, like it's, it's like bathing your comics in a Rolls Royce. You know, like that's really what it is. It's a fucking packaging Rolls Royce. Well, and it lets you know? your it lets your backers or, you know, people that have just purchased it off your website or wherever they're getting the comics from you, it lets them know that you care about their shit. You know what I mean? And it, yeah. it lets them know you care about your own books and how it's presented to the public, you know? And it's just like, look, I used to put them in manila envelopes. Um, cut cardboard to fit, you know, so it mm -hmm. was my books were getting to you more than likely in pristine con condition, you know, but it's just like, look, okay, well, you know, it's not when you open up the package, it's like, yeah, it's cardboard, like whatever cardboard was around that I could cut to size, you know what I mean? So it's not 100% yeah. professional. So it's, you know, it's sadly enough, optics do matter. You know, when you go to conventions, yeah. you have to have your booth looking as great as possible. You can't have the same prints like in shitty containers or plastics or something like that. People can tell it matters to them because it looks like yeah. you don't care about your presentation, you know, your your product. So you want your product to look as good as possible. So and that includes how you mail them. I mean, I've gotten I don't know how many Kickstarter um, comics in just straight up manila envelopes with no cardboard in it. And I'm like, are you guys insane? Like, you know, these yeah. are collectibles, regardless of you're independent or not. Someday you might blow up and I want to have your first edition of your comic. But then you sent to me a manila exactly. envelope. Well, I guess I'm not going to be backing any of your, your Kickstarters anymore. You know what I mean? Totally. Because you don't care enough. Like I've given you more than likely $10 or more for a single issue. And then mm -hmm. you send me a single comic, maybe in a backboard in plastic, in a manila envelope. So you took my $10 at least, and you spent a buck fifty to two fifty on the comic, and then you pocketed the rest and like sent it to me in a shitty envelope. It's like, come on, man. Yeah. Not cool. You care, yeah, care about your product. Speaking, speaking of pet peeves, don't try to make money on shipping. I cannot stand. And I do this on eBay, too. When, when people's shipping rates are too high, I do not buy from them on principle. If you're right. charging like $9 to ship a book in a goddamn mailer, media mail, or even first class, that is too much, man. You are trying to pocket money on the shipping cost, mm -hmm. and that is just so not cool. Right. You know, but uh, 
Yeah, a random thing too. We're going to get to this and bring in the bullshit. But some of my, some books that I got recently and then some overdue books finally came in. And I'm on a really weird run of like shit weird packaging like you were just talking about for eBay auctions. It's like for a while there, it felt like I was getting everything in Gemini mailers. Like I was getting a stockpile of extra Gemini mailers in case I ever needed them, you know? Um, the ones that you can reclaim, obviously. But yeah. recently, it's been all kinds of weird envelopes with fucked up cardboard and people like wrapping the comics in supermarket, like the cheap shopping bags, not the California mm-hmm. ones that we have to pay for. I'm talking about the ones in other states that they give for free. And it's like, what the hell are you people doing, man? You know, just like buy a mailer already or re- buy a comic somewhere and reuse a mailer. Right. <laughs> you know, recently, recently I sold, this is how sad I am. I sold a record through Discogs. And I was completely out of LP mailers. And I was like, well, I kind of have two choices here. I can either pay like 55 bucks for like 25 LP mailers, or I could just buy a record I want. There you go. <laughs> and I can reuse that mailer and send it out. So that's what I did. I bought some Mastodon LP and I was just like, fuck it. And then it showed up like two days later. I repackaged the mailer and I was good to go. There you go. <laughs> Less money. I've... Less money and a record for me to boot. I do that exact same thing. Um, if you've backed my Kickstarter and it's been in a Gemini mailer, more than likely that was a repurposed mailer, uh, Gemini. Like because I'll I'll just pull off the tag. I'm like I I do not like waste. I'm not a person that throws things away just like flippantly. It takes me, yeah. you know, it takes it has to be completely useless for me to throw it away. Uh, I'm not a hoarder, I swear, but I do have an overabundance of Gemini mailers. If you've listened to this podcast at all, you know that I collect comics at a high clip. So that means I have a lot of Gemini mailers. So if I can repurpose them, um, I'll use them for Kickstarters uh, and, you know, people just buying off the website, I'll just repurpose it. I'll reuse it and send it right back out there. And then what you guys do with it, that's your business. If you want to save it, save it. If you don't just chuck it, whatever. But um, yeah, so that's, what's going to happen with this, this Wanderers Kickstarter. I have a good stock of Gemini mailers that I have collected over the last couple of years. And so I'll send, keep sending books out in those until they're all gone. And once they're all gone, then I'll actually purchase some and, you know, start sending it out for Mm -hmm. uh, the Kickstarters. Yep. Yep. Same thing. Same thing. Um, Random thing too, before we, I think this is it. So we'll just get to our main topic in a second, but uh, a a fun little inside baseball thing is since, so Scott and I generally back each other's Kickstarters. And so we have fun with each other on the surveys. I think we've escalated it. So (laughs) on the, on the one that he just, on the one that he just set out, you want to, you want to tell him what, uh, what my response to how you heard about the Kickstarter was? (laughs) Shit. It was um, (laughs) uh, somehow Palpatine survived. Yeah, somehow Palpatine returned. returned. There it is, yeah. I was trying (laughs) to find it. I couldn't find it. I was like, I screen capped and I sent it to you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was was particularly fresh in my head because uh, it's been fresh in my head because when when we were in Minnesota a few weeks ago, we were in a hotel room just chilling. And uh, boy, on, you know, when that was happening over... um, what's it called July 4th weekend you know people just run movie marathons so we found ourselves watching Return of the Jedi again and like you look you know I bristle at that line like that line just sums up bad writing so well right because to me okay Keith's opinion because and I think I even sent Gary this text I said if you give the longer version of somehow Palpatine returned it's even worse it's like somehow after after being thrown down a mine shaft that he exploded at the bottom of on a planet that later exploded Palpatine returned <laughs> you know what I mean like like that's actually the full version of that statement you know so anyway in fact a random thing because you know my wife knows me um, when we were watching that he, you know, Darth Vader throws Palpatine down the, the, the mine shaft and he explodes. And then my wife just turns to me and she goes, somehow Palpatine returned. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, fun. Yeah. Fun, 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 good times. Um, but anyway, so even though this is Scott's episode to host, we agreed that it makes sense for me to actually serve as the lead for Larry Hama's 10 Rules for Drawing a Comic Book Part 2. So last week we talked about, you know, Larry Hama. He has this post that's almost 10 years old. His 10 Rules for Drawing a Comic Book page that sums up what he's learned in 40-odd years in the biz. They are not universal. They are his own personal guidelines, so there is nothing to disagree about. 
So because of that, we're going to do part two today. And uh, the first thing I want to talk about here is interesting because I sort of don't know what it means. I vaguely know what it means, but hopefully Scott being the artist will have a much better idea. And it is plan your shots in Lawrence of Arabia mode rather than in general hospital mode. So what is he saying there? Okay, I actually think this kind of relates to number four on his list which was uh-huh. if you use an odd angle last week yeah. yeah an odd angle in the shot there has to be a reason for it okay so our initial interpretation of this and the more we talked about it and we even dipped into the making making comics book of uh, Scott Scott McCloud mm-hmm. our initial take of it I think was wrong and I think this is actually what he's talking about now so when I yeah. said use canted or Dutch angle Dutch angles I think that's what he's speaking of. So I think Lawrence of Arabia, I think those shots are at a tilted, canted angle. So I think that's okay. what he means. And when he says, yeah. uh, what was it, uh, General Hospital, I think those are straight-on shots. I think that's what he's talking about here. Very basic uh, three-camera shots that you would do on a TV show. Uh, just very yeah. basic stuff. That makes sense. And, and you know, again, I think that the key word in that number four is odd. He used the word odd. So for last week, when he says the odd, I mean, we did arrive at the right place in that what he's going for there might be a better word would would be like extreme or something like that dramatic angle. Yes. Where here, I think he's talking about he's talking about the proper level of drama in in an angle when he's talking about Lawrence of Arabia versus General Hospital, as opposed to an excessive, you know, really um, impactful angle that he was referring to with number four there. Okay, so that makes way more sense. Have Don't you seen, basically try not to be straight on. Have it. you yeah. seen Lawrence of Arabia? No. I have not either. Yeah, I also have not seen General Hospital. So. Um, that's just a, 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 I think it's just a soap opera. So I've seen enough soap actually, operas to know what they look like. So yeah, I may have, I may have actually seen a couple things. There was a, there was a moment where dad was in the hospital about three months ago. And I'm just sitting there chilling with him. And you're like, hey, this is a general hospital. (laughs) No, the fucking soap opera was on because it was the only channel we could get. And and whatever whatever soap opera it was, like Jack Kay was in it. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? I didn't know she was still acting. Right. Yeah. But 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 then like I'm I don't know if I ever told you this. I'm just sitting there minding my own business, like, you know reading or looking through my phone or something and then some character i don't think it was jack hay jack hay is just you know a comment that i would like to make on her still existing and acting which i didn't know but one character says to the other don't you understand she's been possessed by the devil and i was like well what the fuck is going on here (laughs) you know like have i not been paying attention in all the wrong places when when did hospital when did like soap operas get all bonkers and shit so i ended up paying rapt attention for the next 25 minutes of like what the hell is going on here i didn't know i didn't know how uh soap operas got into demonic possession now so uh silly me silly me Um, (laughs) i mean they have been on the air for like 50 years so they gotta think of something i mean and it was de- and it was definitely a long running one like General Hospital. I'm thinking it was General Hospital, but uh, hey, soap opera fans out there can can feel free to correct me. My mom, I'm I'm still waiting for emails from angry Minnesotans, and uh, and we'll see if <laughs> if the General Hospital people want to get on. These My mom used stuff. to watch. Uh, I think Guiding Light was one, and then As the World Turns. I think those were two that she used to watch. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, All right. Next okay, one. Next one. Yeah. Don't think of don't think of backgrounds as quote things to fill up the space after the figures are drawn end quote. So he's what he's talking about there is you really need to plan out your scenes. So you need to the background in some instances are just important as the characters themselves. So especially with establishing shots, that's I think that really falls in line with this one specifically. Um, you really want to plan out the space in which your characters are like where, where they are in accordance to the city, you know, like, okay, they're, they're getting out of their car. So every time you change your angle, the car has to be on the correct side, you know, wherever they exited from, wherever they started walking to. Um, so I think just planning out your backgrounds is more or less what he's talking about. So in fact, it isn't something you're just filling in. 
that makes sense. And I think in a way you kind of cheated a little bit accidentally last week when you were talking about how you put shit like the Back to the Future DeLorean Mm. in places like that. Number one, backgrounds do have work to do. Oh, yeah. You you don't want to have your backgrounds not do any work at all. But that said, not every background needs to do a ton of work, and that's when you can have some fun. Exactly, and, uh, yep. and that's and that's a great thing to do. You know, where you're just like, I, I know I have to have this background, and I want it to be thought out, but it doesn't have to do that much work. So let me have fun and just throw something in. And here. sometimes you are in a uh, a scene, a scenario, an environment where you can just fill it out. Like I've drawn people's offices, like studies. And it's just like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I just got to fill this fucking thing in. Like, I know what he's talking about specifically is planning the background out. That's that's more or less what he's saying. So, Mm -hmm. but even when you do that, there are spaces where you just have to put shit in there. They're like, okay, well, they're in the kitchen. Shit just needs to be on the counter. I just have to fill the counter up with things that you would find in a kitchen. So it looks like a kitchen. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, look, you don't he's not telling you to be Jeff Darrow here. And go bonkers on background detail. Although, if you want to do that, then please do. Yeah, because it's uh, awesome. Yeah, he's just, yeah, he's just saying, think it through and and consider what's going on there. Yep. Yeah. So these next two, I think, are pretty cut and dry. Dry. Uh, so the next one is, if you know what something is called and you have an internet connection, there is no reason to draw it inaccurate. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. This is great. That's a great one. Um, okay. So I've said a couple of things on this pod before. Number one. It is great to use reference, but do not let reference be your crutch. Um, mm-hmm. That means learn when you DC cab baby. When, don't let your reference run your life. <laughs> there it is. Um, <laughs> if you if you've drawn something enough, like if you've re- referenced it enough, eventually you should be just learning that. You should be able to draw a hand at a certain angle. If you've drawn that hand at that angle multiple times, you should know what that looks like. Eventually, you should absorb that information. Learn learn how to do this stuff okay so but if you still don't know how don't be afraid to use reference so that's what i mean when i say don't let it be a crutch don't expect Mm -hmm. it to always be there but learn from it try to do it on your own because then you can really impress yourself by doing and time wise it just helps so much eventually you're going to learn how to do these things you're not going to struggle through it but initially you will so it's okay to use that reference do it over and over and over again until you got it down and then you won't need that reference anymore so but if you got to draw like i don't know a skateboard and you don't know what a skateboard looks like or a cowboy hat google those things those are very googleable things you can see those items at different angles all the angles that you would possibly need you can find it on google more than likely yeah yeah again very very uh, very cool in there um the next one is i think this one's interesting because it's it seems straightforward but i think there's some subtlety to it and i'm hoping you can shed light on the subtlety if the colorist has to ask if a scene takes place at night you haven't done your job okay This one, there should be indicators in your drawing that it is daytime or nighttime. Um, How you do that is a lot of cast shadows. Uh, You'll be spotting way more blacks at night. And if you guys, I don't know if they're already in your hands uh, or if it's too soon, but if you have Wanderers 3, you can find the panels that you, you, you can see the pages that are inside caves in darker areas. You can just tell. You can just look at it because I spot way more blacks on those pages. Um, And then you have, obviously, the sun. Is it setting? Is it full moon? What are we doing here? Clouds. So there's different indicators indicators you can do that makes it nighttime. Um, But mostly cast shadows and spotting more blacks. I would say those are the biggest indications that it is daytime or nighttime. that's tricky, though, and you already mentioned the guy, uh, Jeff Darrow. So Jeff Darrow spots almost no blacks. Like, if you look at all of his, the majority, I don't say all of it, if you look at the majority of his work, it's a lot of open line work and a shitload of detail. So that is a case where I would have to see a night scene with him and a day scene uncolored, and it would be an indicator to the colorist what time of day it is um i will say that when i am working with joaquin my colorist i like to give him as much information as possible so when i send him these pages number one i'm majority of the time i am the flatter so 
I will flat the scene accordingly if it is daytime or nighttime. But I also will let him know, hey, this is roughly around sunset, you know, or this is in the morning or this is the middle of the day or this is the middle of the night. So he'll know what's going on if there is no full moon involved or, you know, um, a sun setting or anything like that. I'll just let him know. So maybe sometimes I'm not doing my job. But also, again, these are Larry Hama's rules for him. So there is no reason to disagree with him. But if you if if he was a random person and he said, hey, you, you know, you need to do this or whatever, I would probably disagree with him. You know, it's just mm-hmm. like it's all based on your art style and what you're doing. So, like, again, Jeff Darrow is a master. So I would need to see an example of a nighttime scene and a daytime scene and like a book that's somewhere in between and how that's handled. And if there is any indicators that it is day or night. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, again, you're you're speaking to artistic experience and I'm just speaking on what I see from my side. So and then the final one we have here, um, if you can't extend the drawing beyond the panel borders and still have it make visual sense, you've cheated on the perspective. Uh, I do this all the time. Um, I will draw outside of the panel to see where all the characters are lined up in in their stance. So depending on the angle, like if it's at, if it's angled, if, if the way I've drawn the panel is angled downward, and so the character in the most foreground like would almost be an overhead shot, I would really need to see the vanishing points on that angle on that panel. So and and we don't even have to use that as an example. So any panel that you guys are drawing out there, if it is kneecap high, torso high, and you kind of want to get a good indication if everyone's eye lines where they are in the background, if it visually makes sense, extend those lines out, find your vanishing points, draw the rest of the characters, and then you can figure out yeah, that does work. That does make sense. Or you go, that does not work at all. Like, this is crazy. The perspective is so off on this. So this goes back to another one of his is where you're planning out your background. This is this falls right on line with those as well. It's just like, make sure what you're drawing makes sense visually from your vanishing points, from perspective uh, standpoints. So uh, draw above, below, side to side uh, of your image, you know, see if what you're doing does in fact make sense. Rock on, man. All right. Well, yeah, I think all in all, those are, those are 10 really interesting guidelines that he chose. I mean, there's a reason that you had that and you shared it so that we could talk about it on an episode. I think there's some really cool shit in there and it's not basic stuff. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's slightly, I think some of the things are basic and some of the things are advanced. And, uh, and that's good. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I've thought about this sometimes with our episodes. It's, it's, we do want to sort of go from more basic to more advanced. Absolutely. You know? When, when we're talking about, you know, when we had a couple episodes ago, when we were talking about basic rules, visual rules, that's an episode that we're going to want to keep around as we get into these more advanced topics. Cause you can't go advanced without at least starting basic. Yep. Um, but you know, you also want to make sure that you're getting advanced and, and sharing some more interesting shit. So yeah, Larry Hama's rules, very, very cool. His guidelines. And uh, I'm glad that we talked about him over a couple episodes there. Absolutely. And you know, he is a master. He's, he's been doing this a very long time. So, you know, uh, 40 odd years in the business. So I have no problem with any of his rules. And these are rules that he follows for his craft. You know, uh, I think there was two of them that we didn't necessarily agree with, or maybe it was just really one after we boiled the other one down a little bit more. But, you know, these are his rules. It's it's what he follows in order to make his comics. And it's what made him successful all of these years. So there's no reason to argue with any of them. And they make tons totally. of sense. And I'm, I'm glad that he put them out there. I wish more creators, more like established creators would put stuff out there like that so I can examine them, pass them along to you, and we can examine them here on the pod. It makes things so much more interesting because, you know, we're 88-ish episodes in, and there's only so many ways we can talk about this just based off of what we do. So it's great to to read and and look at another creator's perspective and how they do things because 
you know, as much as we've talked about this, we don't necessarily look at it the way that other people look at it. So it's nice to see where totally. he's coming from and how he makes the books that he does. Yeah, quick final note for me is that you know that I equate things to music sometimes on the podcast because I've made music for decades. And uh, there is a there is an aesthetic thing that I agree. I, I don't even need to talk to Rick Rubin, but I, I have enough. There's evidence that Rick Rubin thinks just like I do, or I think just like him, probably. Who, who knows? I think I'm I might be older. I don't know. But he hates reverb and I fucking hate reverb. So one of my guidelines, if I was doing TED guidelines on how to make music, don't use reverb. I can't stand it. You know, and uh, and if you know your music or know what reverb sounds like, then you'll know that good luck finding reverb on a Rick Rubin record. Um, it it is in a few places, and there are some funny stories about some of that. One of I have one of my favorites that I've that I talk about off the air, but um, yeah. So again, we all have our rules, and and those rules, those guidelines go into what our artistic style is, and we all have our own artistic styles, and that's what makes the world go round, and that's what makes every book interesting right so every book every record all these things right people get to incorporate all of their guidelines and go from there yeah if we all had the same set of rules we'd all just be putting out the same exact stuff so it's great that everyone has their own rules in which they follow because it leads to more interesting comics and different comics from one another and that's that's what you want right you don't want everything to be the same exactly all right man so we're moving in that was the main topic for the week hope you guys enjoyed that we're moving into bringing the bullshit, my friend. What do you got? I, Dude, I got some bullshit. I got some bullshit. Um, thing number one. So a whole lot of comics have showed up. And the first two. So I have, I'm have. i holding two issues of Sandman in my hand right now. Nice. This one is issue six. Oh. And this is, this is, this just happened to show up after like a month. I mean, I ordered this thing a month ago. So this was the, was the issue that should have cleared out my Sandman run. However, when I'm when I'm looking so I I end up looking after I clean this run a couple weeks ago or whenever that was talking to Scott. I get all those books in and I file them with my Sandman books. And I'm like, "Okay, I'm missing number 6, but number 6 is showing up." And then I get to another one and I'm like, "Why the fuck don't I have 42?" So I thought I'd clean the run, but I didn't have 42. So I went on eBay and got number 42. Uh, the good news is it's it wasn't any kind of special appearance. It wasn't any kind of thing. I just missed it. It was a couple bucks. And now the run is uh, completely clean and in my possession. Hell yeah. So that was thing number one. And then thing number two is, without me going too crazy here, these also all showed up from separate places. My Ooh. runs of Umbrella Academy, uh, each of the first three miniseries, which correspond with each of the first three seasons. You got of all the of them show. in, so all of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What I just held up. What I just held up was the stack of the first uh, arc. Here is the stack of the second arc, and then right here is the stack of the third arc. Oh yeah. And because I enjoyed the show so thoroughly, I am looking forward to busting these out and reading them because I'm curious to see what things in the show were from the comic and what things were tweaked or changed for the show only so I can do that alpha beta thing. I usually, I, maybe a lot of us do this, I don't know. I only reserve this kind of scrutiny for things that I really enjoy. Mm. And so it is a very high compliment to Umbrella Academy that I want to take the time to do an alpha beta basically comparing the TV show to the comic series. I mean, I'll do the same thing with Sandman when it's out because I know how the Sandman comics are and it'll be like, okay, that's, that's different. Yeah. And I can go from there, yeah. you know? So uh, again, it's a sincerest form of flattery when I do something like that. So, um, one thing, uh, it's not, it's not exclusive to, to you and that the things that you like, it's actually the opposite. A lot of people out there, Love to bitch about everything, Keith. So <laughs> even things that they hate, they're like, hey, that's not the same as the comics. Like, well, you probably didn't even like that comic. So um, yeah. I know one thing that they did. I have not read the books. I love the TV show. I'm still not caught up on the last season, but I love the first, uh, what is it, three seasons or two seasons? Yeah. Um, yes, uh, the, yeah. Uh, season three is is fantastic. I mean, it's, it's just as good as the first. Okay. Two. So uh, love the show. Um, one thing that I know that is different are the ethnicities. So I think mm-hmm. I think all the characters in the comics are white, and um, 
in the show everybody's mixed up, which makes more sense for yeah. the origin. And I don't know if I don't, and you haven't read the book yet, but I don't know if the origin uh, from the TV show where the babies are born all across the world, you know, um, is different than in the books. So uh, let me know yeah. after you read it. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm 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 looking forward from to the Delta from a writing perspective. I mean, to your point, like. Those type of things don't even register to me anymore. You know, like Sandman has tons of differences. I mean, if you look at Lucy and the Librarian, it is a very different person in the TV series mm. than it is in the Sandman comics. That's not the kind of thing that I am interested in doing the Delta for. I see. I am interested in, like, the plot elements, you know, the things that were added on that standpoint. Yeah, because, yeah, I, I don't, I have no intent to being one of those people that bitches about, like, this is different than the comics. Yeah, no shit, asshole. <laughs> yeah. To quote the great Scott lost we we can tell it's different you know that's that's to me that's not an interesting thing to have a difference for one character looks one way in the tv show and it looks another way in the comic i'm i'm really more interested in the other stuff and unpacking it from hopefully a writer perspective because i'm curious i'm, I'm curious as to how much of the show was baked into the comic in the first place and how much of the show or what percentage is added on by those same people when it came time to make a TV show. Yeah, that stuff's always interesting. I remember Mike Mignola talking about uh, the Hellboy movies and there's a character, he's like he's like a man mixed with like machinery. It's the guy that has the mask in the head with the knives and he's the one that ends up, um, spoiler alert for a 20-year-old movie. I don't know how how long Hellboy number one came out, or Hellboy uh, the first movie came out. But uh, the mm-hmm. guy that ends up killing the surrogate dad, um, that mm-hmm. guy. So when Mike Mignola was talking about that, he said that was all Guillermo del Toro. He goes, okay. he, that guy was just a goon that he would draw in the comics. And Guillermo del Toro made him this amazing character. So shit like that mm-hmm. is, it's so cool. It's like, wow, the the yeah. movie saw something that the creator didn't and it beefed that character up. And it's just like, wow, that character is a legit badass now. So I kind of love stuff. Totally. Like that. Yeah, man. I got a question you? for you. Uh, yeah. For This is my bringing, part of my bringing the bullshit section. Okay, so a couple of episodes back maybe three at this point you had you had got covid and you were stuck at home and you said you read about 80 comic books something like that Mm -hmm. right were there what were the standouts in those stacks that made you go number one what were the standouts and number two were there standouts that made you go like shit i've been sitting on this book for so long and it was right here and it's so fucking awesome and i wish i read it sooner Hmm. Let me let me go to my um, I have a red box over here. Give me one second. All right. So we're going to talk about the good standouts here. I mean, I will say that of the 80 books, I mean, that's a great question, by the way. Um, But of the 80 books, I just thought of it. um, I was just like, (laughs) go ahead and bleep that. (laughs) (laughs) Should I, though? (laughs) Lots of amazing Spider-Man there, which I, I think I referenced last episode. So. It, it has been fun to catch up on, like, chunks of Amazing Spider-Man. There's a lot of old Amazing Spider-Man there. There's a lot of old Fantastic Four there. Um, some old Godzilla, some old Hawkeye. And I did, I did sort of mention last episode some of those standouts. I thought King of Nothing uh, was a very cool standout. I, I would say that's the book that really jumps to the fore the most. Um, Jim Henson's Storytellers was was another one, or The Storyteller. I can't remember. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, Jim Henson's The Storyteller was another one. Um, and I don't know. That's about it. I mean, those those are the two that really stood out in terms of me enjoying them and being like, wow, you know, like how did I how did I sort of miss out on these? I read a fair amount of current comics. But I can't say any of them were like a standout. They were fine. I enjoyed them. But I don't think I'd go so far as being like, oh, my God, this is a book that I think you guys need to check out. Oh, okay. and, and another one, which, um, well, I actually know I read that before before COVID. So those are really the ones. Again, of the 80, I mean, at least half of them were old school Bronze Age things like Amazing Spider-Man, Hawkeye. Um, 
what was the other one I just mentioned? Fantastic Four, going through those kind of things. And then the rest were like modern comics. So, yeah, I mean, the weird thing about the standouts is I probably mentioned them last episode in terms of the books that I that I really enjoyed. Did, did I mention that I just started reading Savage Dragon again? Did I mention yeah, that? Yeah, you okay. did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so I've gone through about, yeah, like 10 issues of that so far. Because I, I also do have to keep up with my weekly pulls, which I'm getting... A, a decent amount of weekly pulls in and um so savage dragon is is killer i'm i'm 10 issues deep on that um i'm still catching up on time time before time uh, which is a story i really enjoy and um the latest ep- episode i always say episode sometimes uh we only find them when they're dead came out man th- these covers are always just so killer on we only find them when they're dead uh, Simone DeMaio always finds interesting ways to lay things out. Just makes it intriguing to look at. And that's what you want for the cover. You want things to just pop, you know? Just, like, stand out on the stands. And, and he just has a way of doing that with his pieces. It looks really cool. Yeah, I can mention one more, actually. Speaking of... I, I don't want to say it's, like, a high recommendation. But it's one of those books where the art is, I mean, I'd make the argument that it might be the best art I've ever seen in a comic book. But the writing is... I, I, I had a really hard time following the story. Mm-hmm. And that is a book called Isola, which oh, I actually found... Isola? Oh, okay, yeah. is that what it is? Yeah, I heard uh, the so creators... There's, a, there's uh, a New York Knicks reporter named Frank Isola. So oh, yeah, yep, I yep, I am familiar. That. Yeah, yeah um, I've heard... Um, I heard creators say it, and it's Isola. Okay. Yeah, that's so, the only yeah, reason why you, I know it's actually, that way. Way back in the day when we went to one of those SoCal comics runs, you bought an issue of Isola and I saw the the cover and I was like I thought to myself, like, that was pretty amazing. Actually, I know exactly when it was. It was more than a year ago. Because I got my first ep- uh, issue of Isola in Philadelphia for Summer Nationals last year. I remember oh, the store I got okay. it in. And so that's that's a, a book that I started, you know, grabbing when I could um, a year ago and then finally had the whole run and then sat down and read it. And again, for me, that art is mind blowing in terms of how great it is. Yes. Carl Kershaw is fan fucking tastic. Like I love his yeah. work. Um, I wish I could get that guy to do an alternate cover for me because everything oh. he does like to me is, is so amazing. The first time I ever saw his work, it was, I think in the, like, 2010s um early 2010s it was like a teen titans year one that he did and Mm. it was like very cartoony but there was something about it that just stood out from everything else and i was like man this guy's stuff is amazing so i follow him whenever i can whenever i see his stuff i pick it up um i picked up his uh kickstarter it was like a, a abominable charles christopher i believe and i think there was three volumes of it hard covers and i got all of those so just amazing nice. stuff by that guy yeah i need i need to check more of his stuff out i mean if for those not familiar with carl Kershaw, i would say that his style is kind of a fusion between old school two-dimensional disney animation and like mobius like those are yeah. the two things that I see as like the merge, in particular in Isola. So yeah, man, high high recommendation for the art in Isola. It's a very very affordable book too. But uh, yeah, I I not sure about what the story was, but goddamn, the art was just so sensational. I don't care. Yeah. You know, so anyway, yeah, yeah it was, was, another, a, was a princess that or a queen that got turned into a tiger, and um, mm-hmm. the the uh, soldier essentially protecting the princess was in love with her and uh yeah just a beautiful looking book um yeah. i just i enjoyed the hell out of it um so i got something else uh, a couple of things still reading firepower if you're not reading firepower by uh, uh robert kirkman and chris somney check it out it just reads so freely and easily it's just like a Great story. I do love it. And I ended up picking up a book. It's Scout Comics Agent of World, but it's like W.R.O.R.L.D.E. So, um, but okay. the what caught my eye was an artist that did an alternate cover for me. Uh, it's uh, Filia Brutukin. I think he's Russian. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he did an alternate cover for me for Wanderers number two. And just amazing work. I actually have a short story for a character that appeared in Second Shift number nine uh, in one, on one, two pages, two pages. And so he actually did a short story for me. And he did the cover and, and uh, I think like six, six or seven pages. And uh, he's actually getting some pretty good work these days. So he got this book from mm. Scout Comics. He does the interiors as well as the cover. But he also did an alternate cover on a Batman book. So he's actually making some moves. So I'm pretty happy about it. The fact that, nice. you know, an artist that I got some work from um, is making it into the mainstream. So it's very cool to see. And it's just like, yeah. not like I discovered the guy or anything. I mean, he was already out there, but it's cool that I got him before he's quote unquote making it. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. uh, very cool yeah. to have these interiors at a very reasonable price too. Um, awesome. Top of it. All right. You can find me at Scott Lost on Twitter and Instagram, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Yep. At Keith underscore Invader is Instagram for me. Um, I'm an Instagram person. That's really the only one I use out of all the social medias. And so that's just Keith doing stuff. And then there is at Kadoji Kaiju, which is all giant monsters all the time. And you can find me. Oh, wait, no. I already said where you could find me. But guess what? You could find my books at accidentalaliens.com. I've been drinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, second yeah. shift, the tale of minimum wage workers during the day and superheroes at night. And Wanders of Melisanda, anthropomorphic dinosaurs versus humans. A thousand years in the future, we start colonizing other planets and come across the planet Melisanda, where the meteor never hit and dinosaurs of that world survived and evolved. And uh, two dominant species trying to coexist on one planet. Does that work out, Keith? It never works, It man. doesn't work unless you give us five stars on Apple. On the Apple Podcast, <laughs> and then it works. Then it that's works the perfectly. one time it works. That's five stars on Apple Podcast. That's and how five stars on Spotify Podcast. That's how you save Melisanda. You have to give us yeah. five stars on one of those two, unless you like Do conflict. You want... Yeah. Do you want Melisanda to die? No one does. No one does. Give us five stars, you bastards. Come on now. Do what's right. You know. You know. You know. We deserve it, right? <laughs> like we deserve it. No one deserves it more uh, so than for us. me. Exactly. So for me, KeithRFoster.com, that has stuff on me, stuff on my books. Again, Kadoja is HP Lovecraft meets Giant Monsters. And Three Protectors is Interplanetary Kung Fu. They are both there waiting for you at the web store on KeithRFoster.com. All right. And uh, go to makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how this episode was, if it was way worse than the other ones, or if you liked it so much better. Who knows? If there's some topics you want us to talk about we haven't discussed yet, which would be shocking to me if there was something in comics we haven't talked about. But if you got it, <laughs> let us know. We need it. We need it for fodder for our episodes. Well, we just like talking about it. I mean, we can. It's, it's not that we can't find stuff, but, you know, I think Scott mentioned this a week ago that it is fun to get these different perspectives from people because it, it just it sheds a totally different angle on it you know like scott and i are just two people we're just two pe- two simple people trying to make our way in the universe two simpletons and <laughs> and so the more the more people that we get there uh, that that give us perspectives. It's always fun to um, to you know you, we've gotten some really cool ideas from people that have turned into discussion topics or uh, or podcast topics or, or whatever. So yeah, man, we appreciate the feedback. However, you give it to us, the email is great, but there are many many other ways to find us. That's it. All right, we'll see you guys next week. Peace. Peace.